Hey guys, this is Robert Malazzo from Murmur. If you like the show, and I love bringing it to you, it's tons of fun for me. Our audience is awesome. We get great feedback. So here's an idea if you have time. Go to the iTunes store, leave us a review. I'm told by really smart people that it helps cut through the signal and noise world we live in for the show. I love bringing this to you every week. So if you have a moment to leave us a review, that would be great. Murmur Radio on the iTunes store. Thank you so much. And now, quiet on the set. Quiet on the set. In the studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. Over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, actors and athletes and bears, good God. Writer, TV and radio host, ESPN's Dan Lebetard is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you each week live, whupfm.org. Murmur is the show. We also have a website, murmurradio.com. We are on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever fine podcasts are found. We bank the show weekly, so download us, subscribe to us, Keep those cards and letters coming. Go to the website and shoot us an email. If you have a topic you'd like to hear me address on the show, I will match it with a guest and give you full marks. Go to the website, drop us a line. Social handles, lots of information. <laughs> Social For an hour show, we're almost done. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Social handles at MSF Murmur. Twitter, Instagram, you know, roll call, roll call. Uh, what else? Ooh, we're going to be live September 25th, Monday. That's a coming. We are going to be live at the Durham Hotel. Really beautiful space and place. The Durham Hotel in Durham, North Carolina. Monday the 25th, two live guests. Yes, live in the flesh guests. Mac DeMarco, singer-songwriter. Should be fun hanging with Mac, chatting with Mac. Hopefully, we we could uh, make a silhouette out of out of the topics that we'll cover. That's my job, I guess. Mac should just be Mac, and we'll have Dan Ariely. Dan is an amazing behavioral economist. I don't quite know what that means. I mean, I can kind of figure it out, but I just think he's a huge brain, and it's cool. We're kind of having. I'm you know the the subtext of the show is left brain, right brain. And it's cool because we have two very distinct, distinguished artist thinker brains. Uh, I don't. I wonder if Dan thinks he's an artist. We'll ask him that. But anyway, Murmur will be live. Durham Hotel free. Oh, it's free. That's a free show on the roof. Come and check us out. Say hi, Murmur. Today on the show, ESPN Radio's Dan Lebetard. I. I'm always thinking, oh, should I attach ESPN to Dan? I mean, Dan is, uh, you know, in the ESPN, the throes of the mothership and does a lot of really interesting things. The reason why I wanted to have him on the show is I do listen to his show a lot. I think it's great. 
uh, it sustained me over the summer. The summer sports world is, is sort of a a malaise and a meditation of. Um, I love baseball, but it tends to be on on a on a on a, a news front. It tends to be more sociological, psychopathic than uh, X's and O's. So I find it. I need a different kind of show to get me through that on a weekly uh, level. And Dan Lebitard, who hosts the, the Dan Lebitard show with Stu Gatz on ESPN Radio Daily, he also does a TV show with a, another really smart, cool guy named Bamani Jones. Dan's father is part of the TV show and the radio show, Poppy. And Dan also has a kind of... Uh, a rogues gallery of voices that contribute to a show. So why I wanted to have Dan on the show are threefold and they're three, these topics will fold them in now Then we'll chat with Dan and, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll sort of, uh, what's autopsy. I was forgetting that word. Aut- I don't use it every day. <laughs> I don't say that word every day. Autopsy. Uh, you should only have one autopsy in your lifetime. <laughs> if you're unlucky. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll autopsy that, after we talk with Dan, the threefold, there's a common early uh, pattern of the shows that I'm I'm looking at doing, and we've done them, and I want to do more of them. But it's the Frankenstein monster of celebrity, meaning, you know, who are celebrities? Meaning, the definition is is more and less complicated now than it's ever been. Dan operates on that lack or abundance of complexity. Because his show takes on the issues of athletics, but also the issues of of celebrity. I mean, they talk about movies and actors and those th- those kind of public uh, train wreck moments that we see every day. They Dan tends to stay away from politics, but that's kind of the point of today. The reason Dan stays away from politics, I think, is it's probably because he works within the umbrella, the bigger, bigger tent of ESPN. So being inside that bigger umbrella, um, it's I, I think politics become a third rail. And, and we had that recently. We had that this week with Jamel Hill the ESPN host journalist personality who went to Twitter and said that uh, our president Trump, the president Trump uh, is a, I don't know why I'm laughing, um, is a uh, white supremacist. I'm not laughing at, at that. I'm laughing at how I went from our president to the president. That's what I was laughing at. But she took to Twitter and said the president Trump is um a white supremacist who surrounds himself with other white supremacists, and, and she took a lot of heat in the public space, and ESPN kind of distanced themselves from her initially, and this is all litigated on the internet. You can look into it. Different personalities leapt to her. Most personalities, most public personalities leapt to her defense, and even someone like Kurt Schilling, another Frankensteinian monster of sports and politics and hot buttons and... and uh, First Amendment stuff. He was a, he was on ESPN and had a consistent approach to social media where he was really very political and controversially political. Uh, and after several of his own tweets, he was let go by ESPN. He actually said this week in response to Jamel Hill, he thinks uh, they should not have fired her. Now, he did say they shouldn't have hired her in the first place, but he doesn't think they should have fired her. And that salvo, or not salvo, that actually strange bit of support was in response to the president himself. And his spokesperson literally said that's a fireable offense. So today's show is not about those details and that CSI of it all. Today is about how how the how so many now, so many, since we have bigger and more ubiquitous megaphones for speech, which I think is a good thing. I think speech should lead to more speech and disagreement should lead to more speech, not to less speech. But since we have more public megaphones, and as I say that as I'm literally looking at a microphone, (laughs) it just occurred to me, more people will say, more people become the author of information that has to, that has to that draws attention to them, and I, I guess that stands to reason. But what's interesting now is you have 
more so than ever, you have this sort of advocacy where actors are talking about issues and politicians are talking about actors and, you know, the president is talking about TV shows and TV shows are talking about the president and we have, you know, White House representatives making cameo appearances on the Grammys. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, the, the talk show host, is very front and center with the public uh, back and forth to put it mildly, against the uh, potential repeal of the Affordable Care Act. He's every night really pounding away. And obviously, you know, there's an emotional piece for him as a human being, but his son is undergoing a lot of medical care and heart operations. So it's a cause he believes in. So the question becomes, how do we, should we curb this? And yet, again, that's not really why I wanted to have Dan on the show. I wanted to have Dan on the show and I'll get to it right now, because he does operate in all these worlds of fiction that are not so different. Sports. There are sports advocates, meaning there are people in the, in the athletic arena now who are taking public stands. Witness, you know, probably the most obvious now is Colin, Ka- Colin Kaepernick. Sorry, that's a mouthful. It's a great name, Colin Kaepernick. Colin, uh, who started a non-standing for the... Uh, uh, national anthem while he's with the 49ers he's not employed currently and again today is not to look at that issue per se it's it's to look at all these bridge crossing politicians and athletes you know we there used to be a kind of shut up and act mentality or shut up and be a politician but and this was before trump the the these these this criticism of an actor who says something political like shut up and act i i think is so hackneyed because We've we've through that looking glass, and we also have a president. Not that the, we needed the the cue from the president, because the president has always been a celebrity. Uh, not this president, notwithstanding the, the the role of the position of president has always been a, a cele- celebrity. And and you know these people are all human, and I don't mean that as a as a as a protective uh, bit of rhetoric. I mean you know athletes become politicians. Uh, they become presidents. Um, presidents uh, become, uh, you know, um, actors become act, actors and athletes become politicians. Jerry Springer was a politician before he was whatever he is. Uh, I would have loved to have seen him be, be the president. But so my point is, you know, these walls have long been demolished. So to take. To say, ask someone to, st- to stay in their lane because of what they do, I think is kind of silly. So Dan Lebetard's show, the Dan Lebetard show with Stu Gotts. Stu Gotts is a guy who is his sidekick, is kind of Robin to Dan's Batman. They deal in this really well. I think they, they strike a great tone and either acknowledge that this is all the same dialogue of celebrity and public speech. And they also acknowledge... The, at times, the importance of it, and at other times, the absurdity of how close everything is, how, how close these styles, athletes and actors and politicians jousting. Dan and his crew, they point out the importance, but they point out the absurdity and the fun. They have a lot of fun, and we'll talk to Dan about fun. I also want to talk to Dan about something that I don't quite have as I look around. I'm alone. <laughs> uh, don't cry for me. Uh, or you can, uh, but I don't, this show as of right now is me talking into microphones and talking to people who become the show, but you know, the show, and I think one of the reasons why there's not a team here or or other voices on the show. And I I always think about it. What what would that be? Would that help? And there may be some experimenting with that later down the line, but I think, you know, this is a, a weekly show. It's easier or it's a different creature to then a daily show is a very different creature not that daily shows have sidekicks or need sidekicks but aside from sidekicks dan has assembled a really cool team and i think that's the hardest thing to do in radio or sonic or oral um, art forms to have a team the orchestration of voices and what dan's team does really well is something that either can or cannot be explained i'm going to ask him to explain it. I, I'm making a prediction. I look, I'm looking into my crystal microphone. I don't think Dan's going to be able to tell us how he put such a really fun team together, but maybe he will. The last piece uh, that, that motivated me to have Dan on the show 
is how he talks to you know going back to public figures and athletes and ath- and actors and how he kind of he almost has the same brush stroke with all of them so i find his interview technique really fascinating and uh, a lot of the the add-ons to his interviews which we'll talk about with Dan today and I'll, I'll I'll play you a few I think are really genius because they again they highlight the fun absurdity and the faux importance of a lot of of talk a lot of sports and entertainment and political talk I haven't found the fun a lot <laughs> I I have fun I I think but I haven't I, I'm maybe I take things a little too seriously a blessing and a curse. I'll ask Dan. I'll ask Dan what he thinks about tone. But in terms of approach, I love Dan's approach to interviewing. So I want to pick his brain a little bit about that. Lots to do. Lots to say. What makes these people so similar and so absurd? And and the level of importance, you know, they're as important as we want them to be. And now we seem to want them all to be equally important, or at least they're all taking themselves seriously and that is uh, a call to pay attention so dan lebitard who i almost said traffics but traffics in these lines these thin lines of absurdity entertainment fun necessity publicity really well and uh, really psyched he took time to be on the show because he does a lot of stuff today on murmur dan lebitard now this. This is the Dan Lebatar Show with the Stugats on ESPN Radio. Enjoy this man's funny. Enjoy this man's creativity. Enjoy this man's work. Spinal Tap, best in show. Uh, Want to get him in the conversation we were having, so I'm just going to read to Christopher Guest what happened with Obama and Bob Dylan because we like to include our guests on the conversations that we're having. Thank you for joining us, Christopher. Let me read this to you here. This is Obama on meeting Bob Dylan. Quote, here's what I love about Dylan. He was exactly as you'd expect he would be. He wouldn't come to the rehearsal. Usually all these guys are practicing before the set in the evening. He didn't want to take a picture with me. Usually all the talent is dying to take a picture with me and Michelle before the show, but he didn't show up to that. He came in and played the times they are changing. A beautiful a beautiful rendition. The guy is so steeped in this stuff that he can just come up with some new arrangement. And the song sounds completely different. Finishes the song, steps off the stage, I'm sitting right in the front row, comes up, shakes my hand, sort of tips his head, gives me just a little grin, and then leaves. And that was it. Then he left. That was our only interaction with him. And I thought, that's how you want Bob Dylan, right? You don't want him to be all cheesing and grinning with you. You want him to be a little skeptical about the whole enterprise. So that was a real treat. My co-host here thinks that Bob Dylan, big time, the president of the United States. What's your opinion on this? Wow. So that was all real, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I think uh, I, I can imagine that's what happened, and I think it's okay. <laughs> big time, the president? How, what, well, what? I, I don't look at it that way. I think, uh, you know, that to, to, have, to expect anything else would have been ridiculous, knowing his reputation, and then how about not inviting him or something? I don't know. Yeah, what is the list of people, though, that you think can get away with that, Christopher? And and we'll talk about uh, what you got going on in a second, but I'm just I'm just curious, what's the list? Because I want to talk about Mascots, which is now on Netflix, but what's the list of people in American pop culture who can do that and you'd be okay uh, with it? That are alive? <laughs> That's a good question. I yeah. mean, there's certain <laughs> dead people that could have gotten away with that. Albert Einstein, because he didn't understand English that well. It, that would have been an <laughs> obvious one, <Right? laughs> where he just would have basically shrugged and said, uh, I don't know what. Yes. He could have walked out. <laughs> right. Big hair. Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, it's good to show uh, some kind of respect, but D- Dylan has been known to not be comfortable uh, with anything like that. So, again, it doesn't surprise me. I don't think this is an earth-shaking thing. No, I just think it's cool. I know, but he says don't invite him, and I would say if you're Bob Dylan and you're not comfortable with that, don't show up. Don't accept the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I would have have, uh, expected it, and let's move on. Okay. (laughs) Wow, you don't like the line of questioning. You want to talk about mascots. Hmm. No, no, no. I'm happy to talk about, in fact, anything else. I just think that that particular thing is... uh, I'm not sure it's worthy. Of, yeah, you don't uh, find it as interesting as I do. Okay, Christopher no, Guest no, controlling the show content. Fair enough. Um, Spinal Tap was exceptional. Were you surprised at all that one of the Gallagher brothers from Oasis recently was quoted as saying that he thought it was real, that he thought that Spinal Tap was an actual band? 
Well, the important thing is which Gallagher brother? <laughs> that's okay. a good you have that information? I, I don't. And oh, how's it feel? I don't have that. I don't they, know whether two brothers, real, they <laughs> theoretically have different first names, right? Mm hmm. Okay. But you don't know which one it was. No, I don't. Do you? No. Uh, no, I never heard this story. Uh, it's not a good sign, I guess, if you thought it was real. But people, a few people did when it first came out. The movie hadn't been done like that, with that in that style. So, uh, you know, but it, it continues today. I mean, people go, uh, I have a friend who thought Ben-Hur was real. So uh, what are you going to say about that? Do you uh, do you think that that I, this is always a difficult question to ask creators? But do you view that as the work that is your favorite, or is it the one that most people cite as their favorite? If you're not willing to answer that question, oh, I mean, if if you I've worked for a long time and people like different things, and that's fine. You know, I've you know, people say they like Best in Show or they like Waiting for Guffman, and that's fine. You know, whatever. I, I can't control that, so uh, that's cool. How about you, though? Which one do you Which one do you feel? Oh, I couldn't say. Of? That's that's a weird choice. Uh, that's a strange choice. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't even know what to say. Okay. Clearly. Okay, Christopher, I know what to say. How about we end this? Okay, good. We're good. I, we should probably end this, right? Because oh, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't yeah. seem like he wants to do it. No, so, which? Keep going. I mean, are you sure you you want to do this or not? Well, which are we doing? This interview. Oh, I love the interview. Okay. Uh, I mean, I can make a, I can make stuff up, but I don't know what to say to a question that is uh, about which of my things I like. I could make it up, but it's hard to pick. It, you know, I've done a few things, and it's hard to pick one that I like the best. I'd like to go back to the Dylan thing. <laughs> um, I think what would I, I personally would have been offended. Christopher, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. We appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Let's, thank you. let's, thank let's you. wrap thank this up. All right. Good talking to you. You can see his new movie, Mascots, now on Netflix. You don't get the show. You got to keep them separated. Marcel's famed football coach of the New York Giants and the Patriots and the Jets and my Cowboys, alas, uh, once tried to motivate his offensive line by saying, hey, fellas, this is what you work all offseason for. This is why you lift all them weights. Well, today's guest is why we lift all them weights. It is the new year for sports and media and art, and only one man, to my recollection, knows a lot about all those things. He is the host of the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gatz, co-host with his dad and Bamani Jones of Highly Questionable. Today he is our baby new year on things artistic, sports-based, media-based. Please welcome to Murmur, Mr. Dan Lebitard. Hello. Is this Dan Lebitard? It is. Hey, Dan, it's Robert Malazzo. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And welcome to the show, man. Thank you for taking the time to take an interest. No, there's always interest. I don't think there's anyone who does what you do. So tell me, what do you do? <laughs> How would you describe your work and your strategy and your your kind of modus operandi? Well, it goes, it's different according to whatever medium I'm in, but as it relates to television and radio, um, the, the things that I try to do is create environments that are fun, and so therefore they're contagious. 
um, get you into the circus tent with some of the silly stuff, some of the stuff that makes you laugh, uh, and then hopefully offer you the option, the menu option of some subject matter that will also make you think if you'd like to think, if you don't want to think that's fine too. We've got enough of the shiny things so that if you don't want to think we could just be an escape hatch for you. But, uh, hopefully what we're aspiring to is, you know, a circus tent where you can get a lot of the good stuff, the fun stuff and the nutrition you need. What's your metric? Uh, and there's probably, you know, a hard metric like ratings, but if, if, Creating that menu, creating that flying circus on the ground, what is your metric? If you guys laugh at it, is it working? I mean, what's it's the echo chamber is a weird penetration thing. What, what's your tone for success? What's your measure? Yeah, yeah, uh, I only measure in fun, right? Uh, my, <laughs> a columnist job, a, a columnist job, a newspaper columnist job, back when that was a job that mattered, and back you know, when that was a job that was all of my training. The, the gift is being able to find the things that others will find interesting or entertaining. It's not what you find interesting because then you've got the echo chamber thing. It's, it's providing things that others might find interesting. It's the music, the music producer who can hear the artist's music and know it's, know it's going to be a hit. So all the other stuff, like we could sit here and talk philosophically about whether it's best to not care about whether or not you lose your job to do your job fearlessly. But the way I'm measuring it is, how much fun am I having daily? That's, um, that is the measurement on my success. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing, speaking with Dan Lepitard. I think you've built something with a unique vibration. But again, when is it fun? I mean, is it just something like emotionally fun for you or funny? And how much, I guess, is of what you do is strategy? Do you guys sit around like almost like a writer's room and, and go for it? Or is there spontaneity plus planning and not to overthink this but i i, I do that i i tend to overthink as do i well we have we have a lot i'm surrounded by a lot of really good people who also happen to be my friends so we are uh trying to create these communities where people like-minded bright people who are all you know rowing in the same direction are um are enjoying themselves so the measurement isn't just how much fun am I having, it's how much fun are we having. Right. And so once right. you're on the inside of that, once you're on the inside of that, it takes a minute because the people who feel like they're on the outside really dislike it and they don't like being made to feel like they're on the outside. But once you're on the inside, there's a proprietary feeling and and a fun that it, you could just tell when it's working. You could just, you, you got to trust your governor on that one. Like at, at the risk of sounding narcissistic or self-involved, or self-involved, I trust my governor on knowing what an audience is going to enjoy. Like if I know it's bad, it's going to be bad. But if I feel like it's good, it's likely good. <laughs> What I think makes you unique, and I'm speaking as if you're not listening, um, is you're multilingual, and I don't mean just literally. You pivot into politics. You you pivot in tone really well, man. It's pretty extraordinary. And I know politics was one of your undergrad majors, right, at, at Miami. And and this word called journalism, I don't know what that word means, but I'll look it up. Um, how does that work? Is that your gut as well? You know, how do you know when to change tone? Because you're asking, it's like steering a battleship. You can't just turn left all the time, but you do it really well. Is that instinct? Can that be taught? Oh, man, that's a difficult question. Because, um, you happen to like what we do. A lot of people don't like what we do. But if you like the way that um, that we do it, it's unorganized. It's sloppy by design. It's organic. It's peeling back the curtain on polished broadcasting. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to laugh at your mistakes. It's okay to be bad and marinate in the awkward bad if you're all in on the experience and are acknowledging, oh, my God, this stinks. We're all sinking. It's funny to listen to the interview where I'm drowning and you can hear me sweating. <laughs> and, and, it's not, and, and, and it's not Bob Costas. And, and it, you could just hear for yourself that it feels amateur and sort of embracing that with confidence and conviction. If you believe that, um, that confidence only comes from successes stacked on top of each other, when you ask me why do I trust my governor on that, it's because it's never failed me. Like, professionally, if I trust the thing that we're doing, that has been met with rewards, however you measure them, whether it's applause or money or ratings. And so I trust it. I trust it to follow it. And like I said, I've got a lot of really good people around me. So some of the stuff that looks like it's sloppy and, and not planned might have been planned by a producer, and then I'm just sort of following it. I'm un 
I'm unplanned. Everything we're doing every day on the radio is totally unplanned on my end. But we do have producers that can, you know, that that serve as, uh, you know, uh, aquatic uh, life-saving gear for me. I want to talk to you about interviewing celebrities and athletes. Everything else was just window dressing. And this is both my bete noir and my wheelhouse. And I want to... I'm not going to bury the lead for once. I want to talk about Christopher Guest. And the reason why I want to talk about Christopher Guest is I've interviewed Chris a few times, and I've done public talks with Chris. And I'm, this is not journalism. I just want to commiserate and, and get your brain on this. Uh, it's funny. The first time around I interviewed Chris um, was rough. And then I was invited to choose any guest to do a public talk in Chicago, and I chose Chris. And the reason why is I, I kind of am sick of these rhetorical interviews with people where it's all publicity and promotional based. So, you know, the question isn't about Chris per se. And for those of you listening, you can listen to, I think you did an extraordinary job talking with Christopher Guest recently, but talk a little bit about your, your overall strategy and when you talk to, whether they're celebrity athletes or entertainers, because again, you're asked to, to think really quickly. You'll, you'll do Bill Macy, but you're also doing like Jim Harbaugh. What is your modus operandi there for you um, in terms of this amateurism versus polishedness? When you talk to a famous person, I want to dig in a little bit on this with you as, as we go along. What's your strategy, Dan? Um, I mean, I guess it's layered, right? I do pride myself on my interviewing. Uh, we have a research team that digs up very good stuff for us on radio and television, things that are aligned with my sensibilities, where I can you know, follow a path that I think the guest might find stimulating. But the starting point to me on good interviewing, and it's so simple but so hard, <laughs> is listening and be cur- listening and be curious, yeah. listening and be genuinely curious. So yeah. if you're welcoming a guest into an environment where you want him to feel welcome or, or he or she to feel welcome, we want to create a cozy environment where you're in on what we're doing. But also I want to follow you. I'm not starting at the end and then using you to confirm whatever it is that I want confirmed. <laughs> right. I want to know where, where it is that your interest in lie. And if I see anything in your body language, if we're on television in in your cadence on radio, I am listening for all the things that suggest to me, move away from this, uh, <laughs> move toward this, um, you know, on television, I, I've done some body language study. It's harder on the radio, but on television, it's more, it's easier. If someone's, you know, using pacifying gestures on their arms, their, their tells that people have where you can tell whether you're making them uncomfortable or not and where to, you know, how to guide a conversation like that so that you keep your guests both stimulated uh, and interested. For example, you're flipping me off right now and I can't really tell because you're on a phone and I'm on a phone. That's right. That's right. Sort of something like that. That's right. I was... Actually, I was mooning you. So I think we're all grateful. We're all grateful that this is not video. <laughs> it's like an Ace Ventura thing. You're doing this with your ass. Um, speaking That's of, right. Dan, that, uh, I am. That's right. I want to talk a little bit about Chris Guest, not to relitigate this, but you literally, man, and it's like the comedian that goes to someone's job and, and heckles them. You ended that interview with Chris. Can I? Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was amazing. Was there any like, oh, shit, what the hell am I doing? Or, you know what? I'm sick of your bullshit. This is done. And you literally said to he said, and I'm quoting, I don't know what to say. And you said, Christopher, I know what to say. How about we end this? And I like Chris, believe it or not. But what was what was that? What was going on in your mind? Honestly, not not to put too fine a point on it. But did you just reach a point where this is not fun and it's not funny and you're not working with me and it's over? Yes. Yeah. No, I know. I, I know it was shit. I knew it was shit for the audience. I knew it was, and I was, and I'm patient. Like I don't mind being the one embarrassed for a while. Like I'm not an ego monster. Like I'll, <laughs> I. But but there's a certain point where my job, my responsibility, isn't to the guest. It's to the audience. And yeah. I could be kind to the guest and nice to the guest, but I need to be entertaining. And so we were struggling, and and that's okay too, right? Because yeah the five minutes of interview there that were that were clunky or whatever that they, you weren't going to leave your car while listening to it because you were listening to something that was headed toward disaster and you knew it you could feel it so uh, but that was just for that particular one that's not my finest work I, that was just frustrating <laughs> i beg to differ man i beg to, it's all, it's in my personal hall of fame you know it's funny there was always this thought about david letterman that letterman what made letterman so great is he used to hate his guests and he hated uh, Hollywood. And I don't know if you know the story. It's it's kind of a wives' tale. But 
uh, he once he loved Terry Gar, and he once slipped Terry Gar a note during a commercial that said, "Help me." That he was really kind of a pained guy who hated his guest. D- d- have you ever hated someone you've talked to? You don't need to name names, but does that ever come into your uh, rainbow of motivations? <laughs> Not hate, but I'm sick and tired of the adulation and the idolatry to these subjects. Does that ever come into it for you? No, probably not consciously. I don't do a lot in the way of that negative an emotion toward anyone or anything. Like, hate is not a fuel for me, but I, I, I understand what it is that you're saying. I would say that what I really, really dislike is a guest who's not engaged or is bored or is so protective that um, that he's being all, uh, he or she is being way too careful with cliches and just sort of hiding from the interview process. And in those instances, you know, I, I enjoy the challenge of you know trying to make the coach of the Green Bay Packers say or do something interesting. Yeah. And so uh, again, it, it, I'm beholden to the audience on that one. I don't, I, I you know, I don't, I can't say that I respect. Um, I guess, I guess, what I would say to answer your question is. Part of the reason that we are good at what we're do uh, at what we're doing, if you believe that we are good at what we're doing, is because there are times where it feels like that we're not extending a respect to the medium, to the format, to 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 the mythology, to any of it. That we are we are fundamentally lacking in the kind of respect that can you know, that can handcuff you if you respect somebody too much while talking to them. Well, your your inner tuning fork is perfectly pitched in this way. You do something, you do a lot of really cool things, but one thing you do really that's really cool is, and I heard it recently, I think, with Chris Jericho, You near the end of the interview, you all did a kind of, do you think Chris knows my actual name? So the idea is, my name is Dan Lebetard, but does my guest even know who the hell I am? And I wonder about that as well. I mean, that kind of thing, it's a great device because it cuts through the, the the rhetoric of the guest and the publicity machines, which drive me personally crazy. And yes, it drives me crazy because I'm producer and host. But to, to, to put that on the table with a guest, is that just more shits and giggles? Or are you kind of, is there some other reflection like, you don't even know who the hell I am, dude? Well, I would say what happened in that instance if I'm remembering correctly, I thought I feel like, and this is what I was telling you about sort of listening to your guest, I felt like at one point he was about to say my entire name, and he says, that's how I got to be here on the Dan show, right. and he just said the Dan show, and so <laughs> when he said that, I'm like, right, it just it sort of stopped me, and it wasn't self-involvement, it's just something that I figured the audience was probably also thinking about when he said it. And so I, I just naturally asked the question, like what you get a lot of, what a lot of people will say of my interviewing style, if they like it, is, oh, he asked the thing that I was thinking to right, ask. Right. And so I, all I was doing there was listening to Chris Jericho. I'm going to say one thing, man, speaking with Dan Lepidore. Um, if you go in an untimely way, there's one thing I'm going to steal from you because it's, it's the most brilliant thing I think you guys do on the show. And again, this is maybe a personal kind of fetishistic thing. Uh, and it's something you and Stu do and others kind of jumps in, jump in sometimes. Greg Cody, not so much. But when when it, when the interview is over, you say, and our listeners, you got to listen to these guys when the interviews are over. You'll say, okay, so talk to you tomorrow, call you tomorrow. And it's so genius. And again, it speaks to the kind of absurdity of it all. And I'm not trying to make you feel more self-conscious about this. I'm just throwing a bouquet at you. Tell tell me as if no one's listening to this recording. Why what does that come from, you know, why are you like that tag? When did it start and when did you th- think that would be funny cuz I think it's hilarious to say to a guest, "Okay, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Call you tomorrow, okay? Great. Talk to you tomorrow." Dennis Quaid with us now on ESPN Radio. Uh, again, we're running out of time, so cocaine in the 70s. Give it up. It was cocaine in the 70s and the 80s, and we gave it up in the 90s. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it was two yeah, strong, it up, it was yeah. two strong decades. Um, now, did you? Uh, was there a dark period, or was it fun? Oh, it was fun. Then it was fun with problems, and then it was just problems. So- <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's well put. Um, yeah. and, and just last question before we get him out of here. Yes. Give us... A wacky fact about your brother Randy, because he's an unusual character. Oh. Uh, He can eat an apple in one bite. (laughs) 
Hey, you are excellent, Dennis. Yes, Please yes, come back again. Yes, yes. <laughs> Man, you're great. Tomorrow, Dennis? Yeah, yes, Dennis. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. See you later. <laughs> right, see you. Season two of Fortitude, available Amazon Prime this Friday. Okay, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Call you tomorrow. Okay, great. Talk to you tomorrow. What's that about? Well, we only we only yeah, we only do that we only do that when when a guest has gone really well. If a guest has gone really well, <laughs> the idea that our audience is enjoying it, and I can feel that the audience is enjoying it. And I know they are. It's sort of like offering the audience and the guest pressuring the guest into an encore performance. Like, <laughs> yes. all right, come and do this again. Do this again tomorrow, and you're sort of putting the guests in a pressurized space. And like most of the time, they'll say, "Okay, yeah, I'll join you tomorrow." And and, uh, and then you get to do it all over again. And sometimes you end up, you know, d- talking to Kenny G for five straight days or whatever it is. But we'll follow we'll follow things like that totally organically, right? Yeah, like, yeah. well, you mentioned the dirty demon of debate, and I don't know how many people listening to this show would have any idea who that is. But we've got a character who makes an appearance on the show. And we just worked out that character on the air. If you yeah. were invested in our show from yeah. the six months of the first time that character made an appearance to the last time that character made an appearance, you saw the growth of that character. It happened on air. So we were, we were participating in theater of the mind with the audience. We're not, high, we're not doing radio bits. There's nothing canned in, in the way like those old awful like Grease Man or some really bad shtick. Because you also brainstorm on the air. I remember when Guillermo, another part of your traveling, not so traveling circus, started doing the kind of reasonable angel character that you you guys kind of develop it on the air. So I, I think you're right. There's a really empathetic piece where the audience feels there with you. Yeah. But if you look at everything, if, you, if I may, if you look yeah. at what we're doing on television and radio, all those things are is we're filming brainstorming meetings with creative <laughs> yes. people, really. Right. That's right. what that's what we're doing because right. the, the television show, Highly Questionable, that we do with my father, the idea is we're just sort of talking things out. They film for 45 minutes and we air half of it. You know what I mean? Like we just, that's what it is. We're brainstorming on air creatively on a subject matter that the people who are listening to or watching are inherently engaged in because they're ESPN people. A couple more beats with Dan Levitar generously giving us his time. He doesn't do this a whole ton, so I'm honored that you would do it, man. If so much of this is on the spot and created, crafted, brain teased, what is the pre-show meeting like? Is it just beats and timing and guests? Do you leave every show behind the day before? You know, I don't do a daily show. I do a weekly show. So how much of the hangover of the previous show is necessary or is it valuable just tabula rasa every day? We're, we're at ground zero on what we want to do this day. There is no meeting. Like, the producers are there early, and they're planning things so that they can fill in all the holes and they can do all the caulking and spackling that needs to be done. For an 8.55 start, I get there at 8.45, 8.50. I don't, I don't know who the guest co-host, if Amin or Pablo, <laughs> if they're in. I, don't, I, don't, I just go in and we go. So we, we like we just ride the magic car. You're you're a method actor. You don't want to meet an actor until they show up on the day. You're like the Daniel Day Lewis. I know a favorite actor of Stu Gatz's. Being that there's no prep on the day, it is kind of like you know, is that would you have it any other way? I mean, forget your personality in the way that it, it's cool to get there and show up. But let's say ESPN put a mandate that there needs to be an hour prep of every show. And I'm, this is not about killing ESPN or not. Would you, would that help the show, hurt the show, or just a neutral state of the show? Um, that's a good question. It might kill me physically, and then <laughs> we could find out whether that would help or hurt the show. Like, I can't take on a whole lot more than I'm doing right now. So if they... I, w- I would probably buck against that just because I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it. Um, but there is always the question of whether the show would be any better if more of it were planned. Um, uh, maybe today. Today was terrible. Today was terrible. By the way, today's show was terrible. You, That's going to happen sometimes. You, you said it on the air. You stopped almost dead in the middle and said that it was the worst show you all had ever done, um, which was was very uh-huh. magnanimous of you to alert the audience. Uh, and i i didn't I didn't agree with you, but I, I think your point was well taken. I want to talk a little bit about your brother, uh, only in the sense that I don't know if many people listening who know you or don't know you, but your brother David is an artist. Uh, based in Miami, muralist, painter, sculptor. Um, do you like art? My parents My parents are exiles, right? My parents are exiles from Cuba. So what me and my brother value uh, is the, the freedom of the arts. I like my brother's art, but I'm not an art connoisseur or an art aficionado. Uh, we just, 
we really like the freedom of expression, both of us. So that's that's more what I value than you know just I'm I'm, I'm not someone who you know collects or goes to a lot of galleries if that's what you're asking me. But my brother my brother doesn't know anything about sports, and I know about as much about art. Are, are you an artist? And I only ask that because whenever we have people of the microphonic nature on the show, Tavis Smiley or Larry Wilmore, Henry Rollins, Dan Lebetard, I ask them if what you do is art. Is what you do art? What I do art? Is yeah. what I do art? Yeah, is what you do art. Are you an artist? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on the medium that we're talking about. I think of writing as one of the arts. I think I'm a writer first. I'm a columnist first. And I think, or I was, so that's what I think of as art. I don't think of television and radio as art, although I guess you could say, you know, some of what we do is performance art because our our, our sports show is a spoof of, of other sports shows. So in that loose definition, I guess what you could say that some of what we're doing is performance art. Do you think art is a distraction, and, and I guess sports as well? I think about this a lot, you know, and as I get older, I wonder, are these things, have they always been kind of great distractions? You know, I think sports fans at a young age, myself included, I'm sure obviously you, we go through this transition that you wonder how important are sports and are sports and arts a distraction? Is that an insult to call them a distraction? And do you think they're distractions? Yeah, I guess it sort of matters, right? Because it'd be real easy to question the worth of what we're doing in the toy department of human affairs, that everything that we're doing is really silly, right? That it's, that it's nihilistic. But, uh, you know, the rationalization I make to myself about what we get to do to steal money every day is the number of letters that we get because people are laughing during a difficult time, that they were depressed, that they were weak, and we help them help them out of it. And to me, like sports is a distraction, but it's a distraction from pain. It's a distraction from some of the terrible things in your life. It's a distraction from responsibility. It's a distraction from the bills that you're not going to meet this week. Like, so in that respect, um, I wouldn't invest too much of my identity in sports, but to me, it works as medicine. It works as medicine, even if that medicine is just distraction. You talked about your team. I got to ask, you know, I've, I've been doing this show less than a year, and, and it's been a lot of fun. And we do this as a radio show, and then I put it online, et cetera, et cetera. But building the team, man, you were the envy, and as I know the phrase that you made fun of the other day, the apple of, of the eye of a lot of people who want that team of people. You know, when I think of your dad, who's incredible, um, and I'm sure your mom's incredible too, but, you know, your dad is part of the Flying Circus, and he's kind of the Margaret Dumont of the show. Do you know, do you know who Margaret Dumont is? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 for yeah. those listening, you know, the Marx Brothers, Marx Brothers used to say, Groucho used to say what made Mar- uh, Margaret Dumont so brilliant is she didn't know it was a joke. What's the key ingredient to your team, man? I mean, you talked about it kind of instinctually, but it, it, picking out a team, how the hell did you do that? Do you all sort of find each other? Um, how do you do that? What kind of guidance do you do you give to put that community around you? Is it doable on a level of conscious, I need to build a team around me? Uh, you are an overthinker because Sorry, I realize dude. that you're giving me a, no, no, you're giving me a lot of credit and merit for things that you're assigning nobility to, <laughs> as if I'm, you know, some sort of uh, master tactician. When really all I wanted to do at this point in my life is work with my family and friends, people who I found stimulating, people who I found curious, and so I just wanted to laugh with my friends. Writing is very lonely, and the things that I do right now are very communal, and so. I I wanted to pick people around me who I liked, but also, and this is no small thing. I mean, ESPN has just given us so much support, so much power, so much freedom to just bring in the people at the network, for example, who, when I hear their opinions, I'm like, yeah, I think that might be a person I'd like to spend some time with. Like they'll fly people into Miami. They've been enormously supportive. And then, you know, the people that I do the television show, those producers are, you know, friends I've known for 15 years when we started working on PTI. So, like, they're people who have been in my life. I'm not hiring very many unknowns. I'm hiring people who I think can contribute to, you know, uh, my our sensibility. Do you know right away? I mean, if, if ESPN or someone said, or if, let's say a friend said, I know a really cool guy, would you know right away if that person could fit into the flying circus? Yeah, you tend to, you tend to, there aren't a lot, there aren't a lot who haven't fit. It depends on, you know, 
there, there, there haven't been a lot of times. People really like working in our environments because it's goofy and it's fun and the time goes by. And so they enjoy themselves and we enjoy ourselves. Um, uh, yeah, there haven't, by the time you're, by the time you're asked to come in and sit around with us, we already probably have a pretty good idea. Like this isn't Tinder, right? We're not swiping right on <laughs> unknowns. Like we, we, we know something. I thought that's how you met Greg Cody. No, um, maybe I, yeah, that's a, that's a great burden. That that one that one is somebody I like spending time with, but that, that he is a a source of eternal frustration. That guy. I think you can write him off as as an exemption at the end of the year, but I can we'll figure that out. What one last question? But I have a theory before the question because I just realized something about you, Dan. Maybe you are the Christopher Guest of of media. Has anyone ever said that to you? I'm sure you get that all the time. No, no, no I have not got that. Well, people have said uh, I must have I must have misread that entire Chris, Christopher Guest interview because there's there are a number of people who have uh, who have written in saying Dan this would be your kind of guy uh, you uh, no, no, no. you didn't get him at the beginning but he would be your kind of guy that's what they said off the record as if no one's listening I I would never put you guys together I would be a painful cross <laughs> cross country trip but I would pay to see what it looked like here's the last question and it's something an erstwhile colleague of yours. Um, Bill Simmons said, uh, last year he said it, but I wonder, you know, it's funny, today, I don't know if you heard, you probably did on a press release, Jim Harbaugh has a podcast out called Attack Each Day, of course, that's what it's called, and, you know, I had Larry Larry Wilmore last week, he's got one, Uh, there are other rumors that, like Letterman's rumored now to maybe do one, Um, Bill Simmons said something which took a lot of heat, and I wonder what you think, he said the best thing about making content in 2016, and this was 2016, is that if you have good content, people are going to find it no matter who you are and where you are. Do you agree with that? Uh, No, I don't agree with that. I think it's more meritocracy than it's ever been. Um, And I think Bill might have been speaking, um, hopefully there, because at the time... He was talking about it. He was starting his own website. And so he's saying, okay, I'll build the good product and it'll come. And I think he was underestimating. I've told him this. I've said it on the air. I think he underestimates the power and the reach of ESPN. ESPN, to me, makes the people. The people don't make ESPN. If ESPN knights you, then you will be a place where people will go to you for content, uh, whether it's good or not, because ESPN or HBO is one example. Uh, on the televised product, but no, like it's, uh, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people doing, making great art and not getting noticed because reach, reach matters. Uh, but, but also his opinion there informs the decision that he made, right? Cause right. if he thinks the way that I do, he never leaves ESPN. He's got to think the way that he does to start the venture that he started. Well, it's, it's a curious conundrum and it's, you know, he pulled like a, like a Glenn Beck kind of deal. I'm going to leave and create my own kingdom. And I'm, I'm not being critical, but I'm, I'm just looking at it analytically where other people leave the network and go to Fox or go to blah, blah, blah. If, if you, if ESPN lets you go, let's say, and this is all hypothetical, um, what would would you ever consider settling into a space and creating your own, even if it's not on on the on the, the, the with a big bullhorn that maybe Simmons is trying to do or Glenn Beck tried to do, et cetera? But would would you want to be a freelancer? I, I know you are. You could say why I'm that one now. But would you ever say let me be like journalistically freelancing, but in this new thing? Or would you want to reattach yourself to a bigger machine? No, I want I want to be challenged. I want to be stimulated. Whatever the next act next act is is going to be, you know, something close to the last one creatively. So I I don't know what that's going to look like. I have no idea. Uh, ESPN has been really good to us, and you know there, we've gotten very few no's from ESPN. So, but no, of course that appeals to me. I it, it's a it's a con it's a conundrum, right? Because the best way to be anti-establishment the safest way is from within the establishment. So we're anti-establishment while at ESPN. And that's what Bill Simmons was anti-establishment while at ESPN. But now he's outside of ESPN and that anti-establishment doesn't quite work (laughs) as, as, as well. Right. So (laughs) I don't, you know, I, so I don't know whether, I don't know. We're a little dangerous to the company. That's part of the appeal of what it is that we're doing. And it's part of what, part of why it's popular. 
Um, and I don't, you know, and, and they've been very good to us. So I don't know what the next project's going to look like. Well, since he left, you're the third category of employee at ESPN. They're the anchors, which are the, and again, you don't have to respond, just blink uh, yes or no. But, you know, they're the anchors. And then there are the Stephen A. Smiths, and that's a whole other conversation. I'm getting my blueberries tattoo today, uh, Stephen A. Smith, by the way. Um, nice. But then there's that those guys who are very grateful and, and not very critical. But then there's you. You are, not to bring you back to Letterman again, but Letterman used to do it with GE, right? And again, as you said, it was cool when Letterman was on NBC taking the piss out of GE because GE were, were his employers. But if he left, it would be kind of silly. But man, you, 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 again, you may not know how you do it or maybe it's clear why you do it, but you do do it. And I just said do-do, but you do do it. And I just want to say you are... Uh, doing something no one else is doing, man, and and you were inspiring to me and uh, content creators who want to keep their uh, an authentic personal voice. So I want to thank you uh, for doing that and for being with us today. Uh, that was very kind of you. Thank you for uh, consuming what it is that we do with such thoughtfulness. It's uh, very flattering. I don't know why you'd separate me and Stephen A. Smith, though. Why are those are the same category? Like we're all in the. There's, there's the anchor, there are the gas bags, and we're all in the gas no, bags No, 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 no. I beg to differ. Stephen A., though, and I mean this clinically, is more of a company man in the sense of he, he'll take on athletes. You know, he's taken on athletes and athletes' moms for some reason, but um, he'll call out athletes in, in interesting and not-so-interesting ways. But he also is indubitably his ground zero is ESPN. And his ground zero always tends to be the network he's on. Again, you don't have to respond, blink once for yes, twice for no. But, you know, whether when he was on, C- I remember when he was on CNN back in the day, and then he was with Mad Dog and all the outlets he's been with. And I'm not slighting him. That's a different thing. And you can either be that thing or not. But you're not that thing you've taken on other espn personalities unequivocally and in no minced words so i would make the dif- differentiation um w- would you even now so would you agree with me any more now well, than you did I, well i just well i just i mean Stephen a gets because because of the bombast and because of the nature of what the job is Stephen right. a gets the, the reputation of you know being uh the obnoxious know-it-all gas bag but that guy comes from a journalism background. He's got journalism credentials. And, um, you know, there are plenty of people who love the way that he does it, who hate the way that I do it. And just ESPN, it seems to me, has done a good job of providing you a buffet, right? If you don't like the broccoli over here, we've got, you know, the, the General Tao's chicken over here. What's my alternative to ESPNU, though? I'm only joking. Hey, um, Questions are over. Uh, one last thing. I'll talk to you tomorrow, right? I'll, I'll give you a call tomorrow. Is that? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'll talk to you then. I'll, I'll talk, talk to you tomorrow. To you Dan, thanks so much, man. Be well, my friend. See you. Ciao. See you. I'm sorry if that got a little inside baseball and it, it, with names and references and uh, there's so much to cover. It's hard to frame and cover, frame and cover. Uh, I'll, I'll do a better job next time. I hope. Uh, Dan calls what he does and Stugatz and those guys uh, working in the toy department he said toy, de- toy department of, 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 of life I I agree on some level I think I on a week to week basis this show does something different than what Dan does but having Dan on the show is what I want to do in the sense that I want to amass as many articles that seem dissimilar and maybe illuminate a pattern of similarity. Dan is trying to deconstruct in a in a different way, you know, and he wouldn't even say deconstruct. I'm using this word for him. But he, you know, he hit their their theme, their concept that he probably wouldn't call a concept is, you know, creating this environment where you know, the guards are left le- could be left let down. Uh, NBA guards, <laughs> political guards, uh, actor guards. I I like that. I think that helps on a, on a level of process and interviewing and trust and comfort. I think, in terms of the detective agency of it all, I, I want to take all these dissimilar articles and have more folks like Dan Lebertard who may not seem like they exist in the spectrum of guests that I've amassed, because I think they do. And I think the arts and sciences are changing. The politics and the diplomacies and the celebrities and the athletes are changing. It is all becoming one. 
and that's sort of why Dan uh, is perfect as a perfect fit uh, in terms of content here. But just in terms of an architect, I love what Dan does. And I learn a lot from listening to Dan's show. And I was really psyched that he took the time to be with us today on Murmur. I want to thank Dan Levitard for being here. I want to thank you for being here every week. WHUPFM.org. We're going to be live at the Durham Hotel in downtown Durham, North Carolina. September 25th, live and free, 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 free on the rooftop doing a full murmur. Two guests, a little longer murmur than usual. Mac DeMarco, singer-songwriter. I may try to guilt him into doing a song. I don't know. No guarantees. Dan Ariely, really big brain with us. We like your big brain, so bring it back every week. See ya.